Hello, and welcome to episode 27 of Talking About Our Beautiful Savior podcast. I am Pastor Alex Groth. And I'm Carrie Groth. And we are happy to be doing a podcast about Palm Sunday. Yes. Now, at its heart, this podcast has always been about... <laughs> Crochet. Tax laws. <laughs> Now, just before we started recording, you were telling me the most interesting thing about the 1099 forms, Mm -hmm. the changes this year. Could you go into that for our listeners who are, I mean, this is, we're right in crunch time for tax season, so go ahead and share Mm -hmm. what you learned about the 1099 Yeah, well, what I learned is that if you actually don't want to fill it out, you don't have to. I don't, I don't think that's true. (laughs) And I don't know what the legal ramifications are of putting on a podcast and saying things about taxes that are untrue, but... Um, oh, okay. I guess I just misunderstood. Maybe we should just go ahead and say what... Yeah, you should... <laughs> if you have to fill out a 1099, <laughs> you should do so. Yes. That is what I meant. Well, I, I hope that you are all getting your taxes You're in. Um, we just got ours. Oh, no. I got to I gotta put our Forest Park ones in yet. So, we're yes. almost done with our taxes. Thanks for doing that. Fourth Commandment. Mm-hmm. You know, listen. Yep. Obey. Authority. Go, Authority, submit your taxes. Every year in catechism, I go through why taxes are a blessing. Yeah, and then I pay my taxes, it? and I have to remind myself <laughs> that taxes are a blessing. And they are. Yeah. Every road that doesn't have a pothole makes me grateful for... See, I'm the opposite. I like a bumpy ride. <laughs> <laughs> I seek out the roads. I have my Waze app set up so that it Anywhere only finds there's roads major without potholes. potholes. Just kidding. Okay, uh, it is Palm Sunday, so our theme is a greater type of king. And our Sunday school lesson is about a king, too. An unwise king. Oh. We're talking about Solomon. Uh, last week, we were talking about Solomon's wisdom. Mm-hmm. This time, we're talking about his lack of wisdom, lack of using his wisdom, I guess. But first, uh, the, the front part of the lesson is about him building the temple, which is kind of cool. So, some of the notes here. When Solomon became king, another king in the area, King Hiram, congratulated Solomon. Hey, great job, man. Great job. Props to you, bro. So Congrats what age do we know? Oh, never mind. Uh, so Hiram's words seem to indicate he may have been a believer in God, which is interesting. Ooh. Uh, and Hiram had been good friends with, with uh, David, uh, who is obviously Solomon's dad. And their alliance had included, uh, Hiram had these very skilled woodcutters. And so now it seems like oh. Solomon might use them, them too for the construction of the temple. So quality wood was not really available in Israel, so Hiram's going to send these cypress tree, uh, pieces of cypress tree wood to Israel for the building of the temple. And, and that part's interesting, that it's the logs are floated on rafts 100 miles across the Mediterranean and then carried another 40 miles to Jerusalem. Wow. And the payment for these logs was 125,000 bushels of wheat and 115,000 gallons of olive oil. Whoa, that's a lot of money. We don't, is it? Yeah, olive oil is super expensive. Maybe it was like, really cheap back pure, then. pure. You don't know. No, you didn't live back absolutely then. absolutely not. <laughs> so the temple building project required a huge amount of workers. Uh, 30,000 Israelites are working on this project each month. It seems they're kind of on a rotation. And then in addition, 150,000, 153,000 other people living in the area also were employed. Um, wow. It seems that Solomon also conscripted people for service, which is a you know ideal. I don't know what that means. There's uh, some forced labor going on here. Yeah. Um, unfortunate. So when you think of the temple itself, we often think of like a giant building, but it's not like it's not an auditorium. So the the measurements are 90 feet long, 30 feet wide, 40 feet 45 feet high. So it's I mean it's a little it's taller, but it's not huge and it's. 
it's not really designed to fit the people. It's for the priests. So it's the work of the priests, not the crowds. They're, they're not really using the temple the way that we would use our sanctuary. The work in the temple was all done without the sound of a hammer or chisel. And it sounds like it seems like the various pieces of the temple fit together with interlocking parts. Wow. Like, so if you were teaching this lesson to kids, what toy would you use to describe how the temple was put together? Uh, I mean, like, I don't really know what they are, but those linking logs? Linking logs would Legos, be good. Legos, probably. Yeah, I would say Legos would be a really good comparison. Uh, the temple, obviously, as you read through it, I mean, the amount of gold that's used is stunning. And this, you know, likely just it's it's to demonstrate God's glory, glory of heaven, that God is worthy of this. Uh, let's see. So uh, just the cost of it. You know, when you Google how much did it cost to build Solomon's temple, you know, some estimates are like $30 million. Some of them are like $216 billion. So it's a pretty <laughs> wide yeah. array of guesses. But what I found that I thought was interesting, a couple of years ago, a Brazilian guy built the temple, Whoa. and it cost him $300 million. Ooh. So regardless of what the exact number was, I mean, Solomon's spending a huge amount of money, and why is he doing that? Because he wants to um, put a beautiful place for the Lord um, among the people. Yeah, he didn't want people saying, like, wow, that Solomon's a real baller whatever yeah no it wasn't the for him. old testament term for baller <laughs> i think it was baller yeah i think so but he's it's really about god's glory and it's hard to even imagine how beautiful this yeah. building was we do know you know fast forward a couple hundred years when the people come back from exile and they're building a replacement temple they they weep yeah um, because they they know it's not whatever they built is not going to be nearly as amazing as solomon's temple the latter half of the story is about Solomon's unwise activity, which you would say is what? Unfortunate? Um, what? The, what the activity? Oh. What did he do that wasn't very wise? Uh, give me some context here. So, it would be wise to bury just one woman if you're a man. Yes. And what did Solomon do that was unwise? Did he marry a lot of women? He did. Solomon yeah. married many That women. was extraordinarily foolish. Yeah. But very common. So Solomon, I mean, it's the normal number that's normally shared is that Solomon had 500 wives oh, and dear. 500 other women that were kind of part of his, his group. Now, that, that number is 1,000 is a lot. I think we should also mention that some, some, if not many, of those marriages were of a political nature. So it's some sort of, it's, it's very odd to us. And doesn't, I, we don't like it but back in those days if there was some sort of political alliance you know the the king might marry someone else's daughter yeah. to sort of solidify the alliance uh so god is displeased by this and this is one of the points where he announces consequences for solomon like, like he had done with king saul before he says your kingdom's going to be torn away from you he says out of respect for david i'm not going to do that while you're alive but if you keep reading first kings you see it happens very very quickly that solomon's family line loses control mm -hmm. um so what are some takeaways do you think as we as we think about the building of the temple as we think about solomon being extremely wealthy uh had this relationship with god where they they could talk in this very intimate way to have this amazing amount of wisdom from god that was the subject of our last lesson what are some takeaways here uh i think like the biggest thing that comes to mind is like be on your guard, like watch out because it, temptation can overcome even the wisest of mm -hmm. us. And, you know, if, if someone like Solomon, uh, you know, could sin and, and 
that way that was you know clearly against what God had said mm-hmm. um, you know while he was also this wonderful like godly leader um, spiritual leader like I just watch out <laughs> like don't don't let your guard down mm-hmm. yeah I, I, that's what I had written down too just the advantages that Solomon had we have a lot of advantages too we have the Old and New Testament. We have a church where we can attend worship every week without fear. We have access to so many Bible studies, whether in person or resources online. So if we think that we're standing firm, then as Paul says, be, be careful that we don't fall. And Solomon is a good warning for us. Yeah. It does seem like later in his life, Solomon came back to God. You read Ecclesiastes, and by the end of Ecclesiastes, it's you know Solomon is looking back in his life and sort of cataloging his many errors and how he viewed life but it kind of comes full circle in his view of God and what's most important in life I think also too like just um on a, on a side note the like the beauty and majesty of the temple um like it it's worth putting time and effort into like the space where we take time with mm-hmm. God the space where we come to worship God or right. or you know in our own homes like spend our personal Bible study time. Mm-hmm. Like it's really worth like giving giving that like reverence, um, you know, to make it like special and yeah. Beautiful. I think too, one of the ways that God critiques the Israelites from the Old Testament is when they're living in very nice houses and the temple is in mm-hmm. disrepair. Yeah. So a good question to ask ourselves and I think mm-hmm. our sanctuary is very nice, but just yeah. do do we take care of our sanctuary? the way that we take care of our homes. Yeah. You know, we put a lot of effort and time and money into making our homes look nice. Are we doing the same thing for the sanctuary? And and just the church building and grounds right. in okay. themselves. Yeah. And then yeah, when we come to worship, we talked about that the last two weeks ago. Just we come to meet God and what a wonderful right. heady thing that is. Yeah. Alright, let's get into our readings for Palm Sunday. Uh, the first is we're gonna look at our second lesson from Philippians two. This is a great section for walking through what is known as Jesus' humiliation and exaltation. You want to talk through those terms? Sure. Okay, humiliation. So humiliation was when um, God became human, so he humbled himself to take on human flesh and uh, experience the human life, you Mm -hmm. know, condition. Um, Well, yes. Yes, so with humiliation... That way we use that word today is something embarrassing happened. Right, but this, this is setting aside his power. Right, setting aside is a good is a phrase we often use to describe that. Jesus has full power as true God, but he sets aside full use of that power and comes to live as a human being and then suffer and die. Exaltation. So that's when he took back his power. Um, so I suppose, would we say like after he rose... That was where actually well, the exaltation begins a step before that. The oh, the victory march. Mm-hmm. Where down in hell? Yeah, it's counterintuitive, but Jesus' descent into hell is traditionally considered yeah. as the first step of his exaltation because he's going there to announce his complete victory to the devil mm-hmm. over the devil, I should say. And so the exaltation is putting back on the crown. When we yeah. teach this in Bible information class, we actually use like steps down for the humiliation and then steps back up mm-hmm. for the exaltation. There's a little PowerPoint magic where you click a button Ooh, and this, this crown the goes from the side table <laughs> back on to you know, where it belongs, cool. Jesus. 
uh, and the way Paul introduces this great doctrinal section is he says, have the same mindset as Christ in your relationships. So that's, I mean, yeah. amazing yeah. and intimidating. So how, is, how should you be willing to treat other people? And not just people that you love. How yeah. should you be willing to treat your enemy? The same, right. Oh, the same way that Jesus did, which is to be willing to give up. Yep, your life. Your life. And your pride, your pride and your, like, all of it. Being right. You know, whatever yes. it is, God calls us to give it up which is like it's just so when you can when you can have that in the front of your mind like god humbled himself Mm -hmm. and that's what in christ and that's what he calls me to do too like yeah i that just provides us with like that accessibility like okay i can do this Mm -hmm. because i'm in christ yeah christ is with me Paul said Jesus did not consider his divinity something to be grasped, was the old translation. The NAV 2011 says something to be used for his own advantage. So Jesus had all this power, but mm-hmm. he never used it to yeah. benefit himself. He's he's not, you know, making a bunch of food for himself. He's, he's mm-hmm. not doing anything that doesn't fit along with his mission as Savior. Uh, Paul says he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. I was reading one, one commentary on this section, and the, the author pointed out that Jesus' humanity and his humility was so sort of an everyday thing that Peter and the other, other disciples lost track of his divinity in a way sometimes. To the extent, and his example was, so Jesus is so fully human that when it comes time for the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000, the disciples don't think of him as think being able it. to do what you would think. Right. Okay, if he's, if I'm thinking about he's God, then of course Jesus can do a miracle. But he's so fully human that Peter and, and the other disciples, yeah. it doesn't even occur to them that God's with them. And like, that's him. God? Yeah. <laughs> that's so, so crazy. I, that, that was, I liked how that, that made me think about Jesus' humanity in yeah. a different way. That it just, he was, when he was walking around and you were hanging out with him, you could easily forget that he was God. Yeah. Unless he was sitting there, you know, raising someone from the dead or walking on water. Yeah. yeah. You just, you thought of him as Jesus son of joseph from nazareth yeah. and, and then even it even as he's raising lazarus from the dead like he prays to his heavenly mm-hmm. father like that's just such a cool um man like the one i follow what did this for me mm-hmm. like that's that's so cool like people i don't need to make sure people know i'm like smart or yeah. important this that is really right. this <laughs> Jesus mindset is if I'm adopting it, it's really a dagger in the heart mm-hmm. of so much what our culture celebrates right. in terms of yeah. I have to be noticed, I have to be seen, uh, I, I need to be praised, I need to have people be probably jealous of me would be good, mm-hmm. I need to be better than the people that went to high school with me, better than my siblings, I need my parents to be prouder of me than than whatever else, just these, these things that we sometimes wrestle with as human beings, like I, I, I need to be good i need to be better than others and just so focused on ourselves and how people see us and jesus couldn't care less about all that paul Paul says he became true man obedient to death even death on a cross to suffer this shameful death and the crucifixion is so incredibly shameful so that jesus was willing to like like you said give up his life and do it in this painful humiliating way yeah if i have that mindset in my relationships i'm going to be a lot nicer of a guy yeah um so the one for me that really is like, well, okay, that's the one, um, is being misunderstood. Um, you know, so you're going through life, you're trying to do the things that, you know, God calls you to do. You're, you know, trying to be 
faithful in whatever it is and you get misunderstood by someone in mm-hmm. some certain situation um, and that just like for me like my natural um, reaction is like no I want to make sure they understand like no no I did not do that or I yeah. did not say that or no you you didn't know the background or whatever mm-hmm. it is but like I think of when Jesus was um, on trial and they you know flat out asked him and he just remained silent mm-hmm. like it's okay to be misunderstood like yeah. I, I mean obviously it's mm-hmm. going to be important to be understood in many times like many certain circumstances but sometimes it's all right yeah i what i'm hearing you say is being less defensive about yeah. stuff and right. I think that's that's hard but yeah super just, hard yeah and i think the reason jesus could do this obviously is because he's god but he also knew what was going to come i mean the way this this section ends therefore god exalted him to the highest place gave him the name that is above all names and one day every knee will bow and every will tongue tongue will confess that jesus christ is lord yeah. so jesus knows his exaltation is inevitable so he can suffer through the humiliation and i think that is a very good thing for us to think about too our exaltation is inevitable inevitable. so there's an expiration date to my suffering and my you know wrestling with my sense of identity my guilt my anxiety being misunderstood people being upset with me whatever it is there's an expiration date so if that's the case if god has set a day when all of this stuff will go away, then I can put up with it for now. Yes. And I'm following my Savior. He's the I real strength behind this. Yep. All right, let's go to our Gospel, Matthew 21, which is the Palm Sunday account in Matthew. Um, the last time Jesus would enter the city of Jerusalem. Just the, the emotions that he would feel as a true man, knowing this is Sunday. By Friday, he's going to be on the cross. And by late Thursday evening, Judas will have betrayed him. Just a lot of emotion. Um, we, we see, I don't remember, I think it said John's account, I didn't look that up, where Jesus weeps uh, for the city of Jerusalem as he enters it for the last time, just because he knows how many people will reject yeah. him there. Jesus tells the disciples to go get the donkey, so he demonstrates some divine ability here. You're going to go into this specific place, you're going to find a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Bible trivia, yes or no, do you want to be quizzed? Yes, please. Okay, what, prophecy, what prophet prophesied the donkey? Uh, Zechariah. Yes. You didn't look, did you? No, I did not look. Of okay. course not. Okay. I'm not you. a cheater. I trust you. Um, I only know that because I teach this lesson. In oh, right, in Christ. So our first lesson this Sunday is Zechariah 9, verses 9 and 10, because that is the prophecy that Jesus would enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Um, why a donkey? Because a king would enter on a horse or some very majestic animal, mm-hmm. but he wanted to enter in a way that was showing his humility. Yes. Uh, what he came here to do was to serve. Yeah, a donkey is a v- like a very serviceable animal. Um, certainly not a regal animal no, at that time. Definitely not. Anyway, like a, a car equivalent of a donkey would be. <laughs> like like, a- I drove a Ford. I drove my sister's Ford Tempo for a while, <laughs> which was a pretty sweet ride. Um, <laughs> A donkey ride. No, you know what it was? My, uh, the Chevy Malibu that I drove. There you go. The semi- oh, that's perfect. The first, first couple that's of years perfect. that I was here, which wasn't a bad car, but it had this thing where um, toward the end of its car life, <laughs> the turn signal sound would go on all the time. <laughs> it wouldn't Whether the turn signal was on. I remember being on the phone with my younger sister, and she was like, what is that sound in the background? And I was like, I had like tuned it out by this point, but yeah, <laughs> the tr- turn signal sound, the click, 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 would just be on in my car all the time. And the only way to stop it 
was to hit a specific spot on the dashboard very <laughs> really hard, hard. <laughs> and then it would go away for maybe 10 minutes. And I forgot about this until I was driving a bunch of pastors to a circuit meeting. Oh, that's and embarrassing. And all of a sudden, the <laughs> car starts ticking. And without thinking, I just reach over and slam the dashboard. How old are you? Oh, it's probably my second year here as a pastor, so it's like 20, 27. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, just the other guy. <laughs> the guys in the car are like, what? what is wrong with you? I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot. This is uh, wildly embarrassing. So, yeah, donkey's, Donkey. a two, donkey's a 2000 Chevy Malibu. Right. It's going to get the job done, but it's gonna the turn signal is going to click, and it's going to be You're not going to look you. cool. No, you're not going to look cool. I mean, I made it work. <laughs> but, yeah, so Jesus is showing his humility by riding another donkey. A large crowd is spreading their cloaks on the road. Like, we're not even going to have this donkey's feet touch the ground. This is a sign of respect. They're cutting branches. There's multiple references to Psalm 118, which is a messianic psalm. This is the day the Lord has made. Oh, let us rejoice and be glad. Which is more than just... Um, Any day. Yeah, it's more than just like, what a great day. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is that is true. Every day is a great day, but that's not what Psalm 118 what is saying. Day, it's, it's talking about Easter, the resurrection. Yeah. Uh, they say, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna originally was used in prayers and meant help or save, I pray. But eventually, by this point, it became an exclamation of praise. So what they're saying is the highest praise be to the son of David. Now, what are they confessing by saying he's the son of David? They, they believe he is the... Well, the one to come... The Messiah, the Messiah. They, they maybe misunderstood yes. what the Messiah's what job was. What were their expectations of the Messiah at this point? I mean, it's, it was very muddy. Even, and, even the disciples right. didn't really understand fully Jesus' role yeah. until after ascension. Yeah. Uh, as Jesus is ascending, they're even expressing some misunderstandings about yeah. what he's come, come to fix do. our circumstances right now. So the, the prevailing thought of the Messiah at, at that Earth. point was very political. Yeah. Um, I just wrote down, this is a pretty, you know, our Philippians 2 lesson said that at one point every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And Palm Sunday here, this entrance into Jerusalem, it's kind of a preview of that. You know, you have all these people bowing and praying and confessing Jesus. And the last thing Matthew writes is that the whole city was stirred and said, who is this? And the answer was, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So Jerusalem was packed at this point for the Passover. Yes. I've, I've heard different estimates of how, how much Jerusalem's population grew, like two to three times what it normally was as people just packed wow. the city. And yeah, Jesus has, has made quite a grand entrance, which is kind of amazing because there were many people there that wanted to kill him. Yep. So you think he could have laid low, just go worship, mm-hmm. you know, hang out with his disciples. But instead, yeah, he enters as a king mm-hmm. and draws the attention of the Jewish leaders who are going to kill him. Mm-hmm. Right. The our first hymn on Sunday is "No Tramp of Soldiers Marching Feet," but I, I picked verse three. So, do you want to read that? What fading flowers his road adorn? The palms how soon laid down? No bloom or leaf, but only thorn. The King of Glory's crown. The soldiers mock. The rabble cries. The streets with tumult ring. As Pilate to the mob replies, "Behold, behold your King." Uh, I really like those first images, the fading flowers, the palms, just that they're they're so quickly yeah. gone five days later, replaced by the the thorns in Jesus' crown. Uh, I was preaching down in Florence, Kentucky last night, and for the Passion History, they showed a video, like an old DVD of the Gospel of Matthew, and it was, I mean, you can tell it's like 20 years old, but it just having it on video like that really reminds you 
of how awful Good Friday was and just the crowd screaming for, for Jesus' blood. It's it's just the, the juxtaposition of Palm Sunday and Good Friday just days apart. You know, one crowd praising him, you know, highest praise be to the Messiah. Five days later, let his blood be in us and in our children. It's just it's And some just, of those same people in those same crowd like probably the yeah, it's yeah. just the ex- exemplifies Holy Week. You know, here's here's the king who comes to be rejected and by the end of the week, you know, he'll he'll be risen again. But he must go through some very hard things first. All right, our final question, how do you think of Jesus as your king? First or second? I wanna go second. Okay. Are we being super sp- specific? You can be whatever I think specific is good. Okay. So I'm I'm thinking of we've we've used this concept before, but I think it's it's worth repeating because my sinful nature fights against it. If Jesus is king, he gets to tell me what to do. Yes. And it doesn't matter whether I like that or not. It's just the truth. Mm-hmm. And here's why I should like it, because he's the best king. You know, Ever. You think of how many awful kings there have been in history. Versus how many good ones there have been. And I mean, when someone is a good king beloved by the people, it usually is because they'll maybe have fought for them personally, like they've led the army into battle. Uh, they make decisions that are for the good of the people, even if they're difficult. They just, they communicate with the people well. They have humility. Jesus is, is all of that to the nth degree. So when Jesus tells me what to do, it's very foolish and immature if I bristle at that. Yeah. Because he has nothing but love for me. And he's... Mm-hmm. Throughout human history, he's done nothing but use his power to bless the human race who doesn't deserve it. So when King Jesus tells me to bow, it is my privilege to bow. Mm -hmm. When King Jesus tells me, you need to do this, it is my privilege to say, yes, King Jesus, help me. So the amount of time in my heart and mind that I spend sort of wrestling with God's commands or even ignoring them is so crazy because King Jesus just... He's fought and died for me. He's led me into battle. And when he tells me what to do, I, I really do, in my heart of faith, I love it. And I'm mm. thankful for it. So, right. What do you think? Wow, Elle, that was a great answer. Hey, thanks, Carrie. Um, so, I mean, I, I think I've said this before, maybe in like podcast number one. I will go back and check. <laughs> um, but, like... I really want to, I, I would like to spend more time in personal Bible study. Um, you know, I just, it's something that sometimes I'm really good at it and then sometimes I'm not. Um, like I'll go through, you know, weeks of reading my Bible, you know, deeply each day mm-hmm. and then weeks of barely, you know, touching the surface. Um, so I, I really want to hear what God is saying to me. Like you yeah. said, like if he tells me this and that's how he does, that's how he tells us stuff is through his word. Yeah. So um, I want to deepen my Bible study, mm-hmm. personal Bible study. That's good. All right. That leads us to the end here. Two things. One, we put a poll up for last week. Did anyone should we, vote? Should we cut Carrie some slack for her <laughs> show off thing? Yeah. Nobody voted. So by default, yeah, we'll cut <laughs> you some slack. <laughs> begrudgingly <laughs> thanks and then two a more serious note so Holy Week is coming up we did Palm Sunday today when we record next it'll probably be Monday Thursday or Good Friday depending on how crazy Holy Week is, Let's is try for us for a good Thursday, well, for a good Thursday. <laughs> Monday Thursday <laughs> yeah. 
But if you're listening to this, just we'll pray that you have a good Palm Sunday and that you, like us, are, are filled with excitement for Holy Week. It's just the best. I, I love Christmas. Christmas is great. Yeah. Uh, I gotta say, Holy Week's better. I gotta. I love Holy Week more. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, the journey that you get to be taken on from Sunday, Thursday, Friday, yeah. Sunday. It's just, it's beautiful. Some of my strongest memories of church come from Holy Week. So. Yep. May God bless your Holy Week worship, and we'll be with you next week to talk through it. Bye. Bye.